The reading's taken from Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, thank you, Maggie, for giving that reading. Yeah, um, so... Welcome to part four. Um, if you're new, I, I just got to mention this. Um, we, we always like to keep an eye out for anyone who's new around here. I think we've got 15 people here this morning who are here for the first time. So if you're one of those 15, welcome. It's really good to have you here. Um, I don't know why everyone, it's obviously the day. So um, um, I hope you're, you're able to sort of just engage with what's going on this morning. The, the key thing for us here is that we, we kind of take God very seriously and we kind of take ourselves a little less seriously um, is the aim. And uh, we, we come to him believing that he can do amazing things in our lives. And that's the testimony of so many people in this, in this church, church family. Um, so this part four of this series in the Gospel of Matthew. I, I, I found a church who did a series like this. And their final installment on the Gospel of Matthew was part 77. So it took them four and a half years. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll beat that. I don't know. But I want to start off this morning with a little bit of some background and theory. Bear with me. I think it's important because it relates to how we understand uh, what Matthew is trying to show us. We have four gospel accounts. Um, each writer has expertly crafted their biography of Jesus to show us something important. 
We can take individual verses and, and meditate on them. That's good. We can study stories or teachings for meaning and, um, and application. But to grasp Matthew's message, we need to kind of look at the whole thing. And we, when we come to a source, I did history at university many years ago, uh, when we come to a source, we, we always come with a certain set of assumptions and pre-existing ideas. Um, this is, you know, it's true of an art exhibition, it's true of the new series of gladiators, um, it's equally true of the Bible. And it's important that we recognize that, that um, for us as Christians, we come to the Bible as God's word, as the church has done throughout the ages, the fundamental foundational document that reveals to us Jesus and through him our heavenly father, our creator, our redeemer. And it's the basis for ethics and truth. I talked uh, previously about the, the Bible being like Sir Christopher Wren's St. Paul's Cathedral. And just as Wren didn't lay a brick of St. Paul's Cathedral himself, yet he was clearly the architect. He was clearly the creator, God used a lot of people to build the Bible. So we believe that God, the Bible is God's divinely inspired authoritative word, and yet it was written by over 40 people over the course of more than a thousand years, each bringing their own kind of writing style and culture. Matthew's account is built really around presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. We saw it in Jesus' family tree, a descendant of Abraham, that was sort of God's promised blessing, the source of God's promised blessing to all nations. From the line of David, which is suggesting a new messianic king. In the mold of Moses, God's rescuer leading his people out of slavery. We'll see something of that in our story today. Matthew is peppered with these Old Testament references and quotes, and as we go, we'll attempt to dig a little deeper into some of those and seeing how all these ancient writings pointed to Jesus. And for ourselves, we bring our own kind of set of focal lenses, I think the technical term is, through which we are approaching this gospel. And there are kind of three of them. They're rooted in our church vision. This is our, our vision as a church. So First, we're asking, what does this text tell us about what it means to be with Jesus for his disciples then and for us today? Second, what does it teach us about his way of life, what it means to, to live life like Jesus? And third, what do we learn about doing what Jesus did from it? And so just a reminder, those are the three cornerstones of our, our vision, which together kind of equal becoming followers of Jesus in the style of apprentices, a.k.a. disciples, which seems to be what Jesus expected of us. So Matthew's gospel ends with Jesus sending off his disciples to make disciples who make disciples, passing on his teachings, his way of life, the, the message of the gospel and his salvation empowered by the Holy Spirit, taking that message into the whole world. So let's look at chapter three. I'm just going to play a little video in the background here. I didn't take this video. I took a video like it, but I can't find it. So Christmas is finally over now. Jess and I lived in Uganda for two years, from 2008 to 10. I may have mentioned that before. Um, <laughs> it's a time that was rich with illustration material. And we lived uh, five kilometers off the main highway, 
between Entebbe Airport and the capital Kampala, where the main center of our organization was. This was, I think, the only stretch of dual carriageway in the country at the time. There's a lot more now. Because it joined the airport to the capital, there were pretty often convoys of VIPs heading between the two. The president's convoy was the biggest. And you could always tell it was the president's convoy because the final vehicle was his personal Winnebago. We once saw the convoy of Colonel Gaddafi coming through. Now, the first signs of a convoy coming were the kind of motorbike outriders who came storming up and waving at you to pull off the road. Traffic police were stationed at regular intervals along the road holding AK-47s. And if you didn't get off the road promptly, they would step into the road and, if necessary, point their weapons at you. We knew the story of one guy who was a friend of a friend who uh, failed to stop in time. He was forcibly pulled over. He was yanked from his car. He was taken away, leaving his bag, which had his laptop in it, on the passenger seat. And by the time he was released, the bag and the laptop were gone, along with several key components of the car. Now, that was a place where preparing the way was important, or, sorry, preparing the way for important people was taken very seriously. In chapter 3, Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist, whose job description is to prepare the way for Jesus. And in keeping with Jesus' birth story, John's method of preparing the way was unusual, shall we say. The opening words of Matthew 3 are telling. Um, if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, you can look up Matthew 3. It'll, it'll help you follow along what I'm saying. We've got some Bibles on the ends of the pews if you want to take a look. So you can grab one and somebody will shout out a page number at some point for where you can find Matthew 3. Um, in those days is how Matthew starts. In those days. So we're prompted to ask, in what days? And uh, the answer is, in the days where God had been silent for 500 years, the nation was occupied, the temple, the historic kind of place of God's presence, it was contaminated, the covenant was broken. It was a time when all hope seemed to be gone. We've got a page number. Anyone found Matthew? 967, if you want to look it up. In those days, in those hopeless days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I asked you last Sunday, if you were the campaign manager for Jesus, for the Son of God, where would you start? And the answer was sort of, not in a rural backwater far from the city. Now we're going further still. This is now not just a sort of sneered-on village you know, there was this well-known maxim at the time, can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, as somebody who comes from Luton, I know this sort of attitude that people have, voted frequently number one in the crap towns of Britain. But now the scene has moved away from any populated area at all. We're now in the wilderness, really? And John's rallying cry is, repent. Imagine if that was the key message of one of the parties in this year's election. Repent, think again, you've got it all wrong. Do you think they'd win a landslide? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Well, what does John mean? Better to ask, who does John mean? Matthew's quoting here from the, the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So who's this Lord that Isaiah talks of? Isaiah was um, a, a prophet in Israel who wrote before and after the exile. So God allowed, as we looked at this before, God allowed his people to be expelled from the land, conquered by the, the Assyrian and the, the Babylonian empires in response to their repeated failure to live up to their calling. Isaiah 40, where this verse is taken from, speaks of a powerful Lord who will come then and shepherd God's people and renew them. And it says one will come before him to prepare his way and his calling card will be telling people to recognize their wretchedness, their brokenness, the fragility of their lives, to repent and turn back to God. The people John was preaching to would have known these two figures, these two sort of legendary figures, the coming of the Lord and the one who prepares the way from him, for him. And John was saying that 600 years on, this is the time and I am the person. So John is this pretty wild figure. He's wearing wild clothes and eating wild food. We know of no religious credentials that he had, but he's making claims on being this legendary figure in Israel's narrative. So something of a surprise that the first we hear of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, those kind of ultra-religious types who Jesus is going to have all these run-ins with leading to his death. The first mention of them by Matthew in this gospel is coming, they come out into the wilderness not to stop John, this rogue preacher, but as some translations, I think perhaps best translations have it, it implies that they actually came to take part and be baptized by John, which is a real surprise. How does John respond to this? You know, this is an opportunity, you know, fringe religious movement, out in the wilderness, people coming from the city and the whole region, and now here come the the, the kind of the power brokers, effectively the the potential party donors, if you like, coming to offer their endorsement, maybe. This is a great opportunity to network and build bridges. John's response, you brood of vipers. (laughs) Doesn't even say hello. Repent, sort yourselves out, he says to them. And he, he kind of lays into them, attacking their confidence in their ancestry. You know, that, that was their most prized credential. Um, and it's all blood and axes and fire. That's what's coming for them, he says. He, he threatens them. So if you're one of the crowd and you're watching this, and you, you, know, you buy into the idea that, yes, maybe John is the one sent to prepare the way. What kind of Lord are you now expecting to come? Remember, in those days. In those days, people's idea of a Messiah was a glorious military conqueror who would come in and kick some ass, you know, specifically Roman ass. This is Pharisee ass, but um, it's the right tone. John says, I baptize with water. The one who's coming will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So what happens next is an even bigger surprise. We're getting used to seeing this in Matthew's gospel now, aren't we? Jesus' ancestry, in some ways, is a surprise. Some very um, surprising characters in his, in his um, genealogy. His family is a surprise. His birth circumstances are a surprise. His welcome party is a surprise. His flight to Egypt is a surprise. 
Now this Messiah comes out to John in the desert. And he does perhaps the most surprising thing God's anointed one could do. He, this mighty judge, asked God to, ask John to baptize him with his baptism for repentance. Now, why, does he, why does he do that? And one of the ideas is that, is that Matthew is showing us that Jesus is this kind of new Moses. So, you know, sort of check off the similarities. He comes out of Egypt, check. He passes through the water, that's the baptism. He goes out to the wilderness. Mike will be looking at that next week. And then uh, four, he climbs a mountain and he teaches people God's ways. So there's a lot of parallels between Moses and Jesus. But I think the, the key thing here is that this is Jesus, who remember, Matthew has made this kind of big thing of identifying him as Emmanuel, meaning, can you remember? God with us. That's right. You were listening at Christmas. Well done. And this Emmanuel, God with us, comes to be with us. And what he's doing here is he's identifying with our sinful nature and our need of forgiveness, right? So Jesus is the, the perfect God-man, the only human never to have sinned, but he receives John's baptism of repentance, which every other human being needs. By being buried in the waters of baptism for repentance, Jesus is showing that the, the, the coming judgment, this coming wrath that John is talking about will ultimately be exercised on himself. In his death on the cross for our sake, to secure our salvation, he takes our place. We receive all his credit. And this is the moment, you know, notice that this is the moment near the end of the story here, that having done all of this, demonstrated what he's come to do and how he's, how he's going to do it, this is the moment that his father's voice speaks from heaven, affirming his identity. The spirit descends on him like a dove. The father says, look at that right there. This is my beloved son. In humbling himself, identifying with sinful people, God says, that's my boy. So that's the story, and it's, uh, it's quite a long one today. But where do we go with this? What are the takeaways for us? What might God be saying to us today? And just to say, these are just a few suggestions. God may be something, saying something completely different to you today, and that's absolutely fine. That's something for you to pray about. Um, I'm certainly not going to um, claim to have the monopoly on applications here. But here are a few things, that, you know, a few questions you, you could ask yourself. So the first one is, I think, do you need to repent? Literally, that means to, to think again, to change your mind, to change direction. Um, we had a great conversation about sin and forgiveness at Alpha on Thursday night, and the discussion revolved around kind of our attitude to our sin and our need to kind of recognize that um, and our state before God. Do you need to repent? Have you ever taken an honest look at yourself and accepted that the world's problems, you know, some of which we prayed about there, don't simply exist out there with wars and corruption and violence and cheating? They have their roots in here, in you and me. Jesus' message was that, if we're honest, we are the problem. But he came to fix it. He came to address that. And it starts, our response to that starts with repentance. 
So either for the first time or for the first time in a long time, do you need to repent and give Jesus the opportunity to do what he came to do, to save and rescue and heal you? Second question is, are you ready? Um, you know, like the contestants and the gladiators. Um, you could tell what my Saturday evening TV was. I love the way that Mark Clattenburg is still trying to do the Scottish accent almost slightly there in honour of... Never mind. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. John the Baptist is usually preached on in Advent, in the, in the run-up to Christmas, with the message of getting ready. A lot of what we're going to read uh, of Jesus from here on is going to be really inspiring. You know, a lot of it is still held as some of the greatest moral teachings known to humankind, which is why a lot of people, if you ask them, still maintain the position, which Jesus himself made untenable, that he was just a good human teacher. You know, because the logic of that position doesn't work. Jesus claimed to be God. So if he wasn't, then he wasn't good. But the characteristic of Jesus' teaching, his proclaiming of this kingdom of heaven, which we'll, we'll get into a bit more, is that it turns everything upside down, all the expectations. And that comes with a lot of challenge. In the coming weeks, we'll read things that Jesus said that will make us wince, or at least they should do. Are, are, are we ready for that? Are we ready to be disturbed? Um, somebody once said, this was adapted from a quote about art, I think, that Jesus came to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. Are you feeling comfortable? Possibly not on these pews. <laughs> we'll get ready to be disturbed by Jesus. Finally, are you prepared? Are you preparing the way for Jesus? Who are we, like John, calling to repentance? I'm not suggesting we should be walking up to strangers and telling them they need to repent. Um, I'm not advocating that, mostly because I'm not sure it would have the desired outcome. Um, we were talking last week about being persecuted, not for good reasons, but by being rude um, or lacking in grace. But we can call people to repentance by telling them about Jesus or by showing them a, a, a better or a different way. We, 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 we talk about this to our kids, and Paul talks about it in Romans, how when somebody is unpleasant to you, hit them back by being kind, doing something nice for them. It really confuses people when you do that, and it you know, often makes people aware, more aware of their own bad attitudes than directly confronting them. Not always, but that is the way of Jesus. Pray for people. Some people find it really hard to accept that they're in the wrong or in a wrong state. It's almost too painful for them to bear that, to recognize that and acknowledge it. Pray for them. Ultimately, true repentance is something that comes only as a response to God's goodness. Pray for the Holy Spirit to soften hearts. So before I hand over to Mike, who's going to lead us in a time of response, uh, just to sort of tie this together. Commentators see this episode that we've just read now, that at the end of Matthew's introduction, in which Matthew has established Jesus's identity. So just to review, this is, we've got God who's come to be with us, to walk among us as one of us, to lead us through the waters, out of slavery, into freedom. And, you know, in, in our baptism, we hear those same words spoken by the Father over Jesus, spoken to us. You are my child, whom I love. With you, I am 
well pleased.